Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to convince you that clients are not the boss of you. Gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, geez, where did this come from? This, I think this sort of started its life as a, as a very frustrated email I got uh, from someone on my list who was, who was sort of bemoaning the, the situation of having, being very busy with lots of clients who are not a good fit or very, you know, price buyers and just really, um, really frustrated. And, and, and I know I talk to a lot of people who are in that situation and they feel like they'll, you know, sometimes when they hear maybe us talking on the show, like, oh, well, that's easy for you guys to say because you've got good clients. <laughs> and so you can get away with air quotes saying no and having boundaries and and uh, controlling scope and all these other things. So that's sort of that's sort of uh, I think the inspiration for this episode. Well, yeah, and I think the other piece of this is that it's it's a little too easy to fall into kind of victim thinking when you get in this situation where you've got, you know, some bad fit clients and you're feeling like you're being pushed and pulled in different directions. And I think part of the reason that we want to talk about this is that you can pull yourself out of that. And when you're in the midst of it, it feels impossible, but it isn't. Right. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you don't magically start off with great clients. In fact, well, one of the one of the questions I ask people when they join my list is is um, you know what uh, what is your main business goal now or what's your biggest challenge and easily eighty percent of the people have answer with some form of you know I want better clients who value what I do and you know mm-hmm. and, and 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 how do I get that how do I get better clients and I always respond to the same thing it's like well who what kind of clients do you want. And they're like, good question. I don't know. It's like, maybe there's a correlation there <laughs> yeah, between yeah. not knowing what, not even knowing what your ideal client would be like and, uh, and, and, but wanting them. So like wanting better clients, but not knowing what they are. So of course you can't pursue them actively because you haven't even decided who they are. Um, anyway, so. Well, and if you haven't experienced one, because that's what happens sometimes is like you have this slew of bad fits and then you get nirvana and a lot of times that's the impetus to make a change because you're kind of like, I had no idea these great clients were out there. I want to replicate this a hundred times over right. or five times over or 10 times over. Right. Yeah. So, okay. And th- there's also an angle here about not over delivering, but like, you know, they say jump, you say how high, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not even, so on the one hand, there's just clients for whom you are a bad fit because of things like communication style or, um, well, expectations or, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're, if they're always urgent, hair's always on fire, emails are always all caps, um, you know, demanding, not, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the, or they're too slow to respond. And it's super frustrating because you give them all this great stuff and they're not implementing it. And, uh, or yeah. you send them some designs and they take forever to get back to you. And then when they do get back to you, it's an emergency or, <laughs> you know, they said they tested the software that you were working on, but they didn't really. And when it goes live, everything blows up and now, you know, again, emergency. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are all those, I would say those are, um, I wouldn't quite say toxic. I mean, there's certainly toxic clients out there, but th- those are kind of just, 
I would call them a bad fit. If, if it's, if that sounds distasteful to you, that would be a bad fit to have clients that are like that. But then they're also, yeah, then they're also clients where you are, you like them and you do get along with them. Maybe, you know, maybe you, you're friends with them and you've been with them for a long time, but they're asking you to do, or they, they ask you to do something that is, that you know is going to jeopardize or at least delay the success of the project that you're working on. So just like distraction type stuff, like, oh, you're working on the website anyway, can you put a carousel on the homepage? And Mm -hmm. I think both of us have had the experience of wanting to be the person who jumps in to save the day or, (laughs) you know, put more on my plate. I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. And kind of be the superhuman. Uh, And, you know, the client's always right, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's sort of drilled into us. Uh, but that's that's really an employee mentality, which is like, you know, you're getting paid a salary. So it's there's incentive your manager or boss to squeeze as much stuff into your week as possible because it's at a certain point it becomes free because they already paid for you. So, yeah. you know, the more they can get out, it's like gravy. And if you if you have this kind of employee mentality of like, oh, I'm going to work my way up by showing how much I can handle without questioning whether or not it's the, the they're the right things to do or maybe you're not in a position to even question that if you bring that mentality with you into consulting it's bad for many reasons not the least of which is your mental health but also scope creep and other stuff yeah. so i don't know if i if we've kind of i th- feel like i were kind of drawing out two categories or maybe two tiers of you letting clients boss you around i guess that's what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. yeah so how do we how do we move away from that if we agree if that's a bad thing how do we move away from that yeah i think for me that because i i approach this in a different way when i first started my consulting businesses and i grew up in this big consulting firm where the answer was always yes i mean unless it was like some like really stupid thing for the project the answer was yes oh can you guys add this on yes we can can you do this yes we can And the idea was to make it look easy to the client and they wouldn't see what was behind us, which was a whole team of people running with their hair on fire to fix things. So, you know, when I started my first business, I brought that with me, but I wanted to change it. I definitely had this desire to do that. And I think that, you know, you have to learn, we all have to learn how to say no and when to say no. And the beauty is you don't always have to just say no. Usually what you're, what you're doing is you're asking a question, right? Well, so if we did that, how would that impact, you know, insert the goal of the project? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the first question is you turn it back on them. And when you start doing that, the way you think about this starts to shift. Mm-hmm. The client isn't the boss. The client isn't, the client is the final arbiter of whether they're happy with the outcome, Right, but they're not the final arbiter on the process that you use to get there, and what you include and what you exclude. That's your job. Exactly. Your your client is the outcome of the project. So there's a, a person, an ultimate person that you're quote unquote reporting to in terms of the work, um, and then there is the outcome of the project that is often much bigger than any one single client. Yeah, I I couldn't have said that better myself. It, it's and it's the key to managing scope creep when you're giving like a value price project, which is to know what the success metric is and how you're going to measure the your progress with your contribution. So, if the client asks you to do something that 
is out of scope, air quotes out of scope, then you can say, you don't have to say no because you don't want to do the extra work. You don't have to say no because you think it's, uh, you, you think it's, mm, it rubs you the wrong way in terms of best practices for your industry or something like that. Like they're mm -hmm. asking you to do something quick and dirty and you, and you just, you don't do that. You don't like doing that. It's not about saying no, like, uh, like you're in a fight with them. You're just there to fiercely defend the outcome of the project. It's like, remember client when we first met and you said the way to satisfy you would be if we reached this outcome, you know, whatever that might be, how does exactly what you said, how does this request that you're making contribute to the stated goal of this project? And they won't be able to answer. And so you say, okay, well, let's just put this on a V2. And once we go live with this, or once this is, once we declare victory on this project, then we can revisit this idea and we'll probably have a few of them. And like I told you in the meeting, because I, I like to set these expectations way up front, like I told you in the sales interview when we first met, that these were the kinds of things that I was going to push back on because I'm here to deliver 100% customer satisfaction, not a whole bunch of tasks that you told me to do. So, yes. it, so there's a huge mindset shift here. Your leverage to push back is to kind of help them defend themselves against their worst enemy, which is them. You know, a lot of a lot of clients know that they're their own worst enemy. I know enough to be dangerous. I have shiny object syndrome. Um, I get excited about stuff and I, you know, send my employees scurrying. Uh, and then the next day there's a new thing. So you're there to kind of be in the, the adult in the room, so to speak, and say, hey, at least in this situation, uh, it's important that that someone prevents you from doing that. Because remember how important you said this goal was? Well, chasing these shiny objects is going to just push that goal farther and farther away. And I'm here to, you know, like distraction cop to defend the outcome of the project. It's not, it's not like a pissing contest between them trying to get more work out of you and you not wanting to do it. It's totally different. Yeah. I, well, I also think about it in terms of problem solving generally. And the example I'm going to use is when I was doing a lot of M&A work, we would have a plan on how we were going to do whatever it was we were doing. And inevitably, something would come out of left field that was important, right? And it usually revolved around getting input from a different set of people than were present when we designed the project, right? So we have to talk to this business unit or we have to bring them into the meeting. And so I would sit with a client, we'd problem solve. We'd say, all right, what's the goal here? What are we going to do with these people? What's the best way to get to them? And we would design something in addition to. And then I would price that whatever in addition to was. But I never, it never made me feel like I was their employee. It was the opposite. Right. I felt like I was their partner. And I'm trying to help my client, who's a senior exec in a large, complex organization, trying to hold on to their job mm -hmm. and be of real value to the organization. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity to really partner with your clients versus being the, you know, the, the, the doomsayer. No, we cannot do that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a great point because sometimes the client will come to you, even in, in my world of software, sometimes they'll come to you and they'll say, hey, what about this? And and they can make a case for it to be uh, in, aligned with the goal of the project and maybe that'll get us there mm -hmm. faster or better. And in which case I would say, yeah, even if it's, I mean, like a developer sort of automatically thinks, oh, that's scope creep because now I have to do more work or I have to throw, we were going down one path and now I have to throw away that branch and now we're going to go in a different direction, but it's still less work overall. So like if they come up with a great idea, 
that is going to is going to cause it's more work in the moment it's going to create more work for you in the moment but satisfy them faster than if you didn't do it then it's not actually more yeah. work do you see what i'm saying yeah yeah that's a no brainer yeah yeah it's it is more work than you were expecting to do but it's less work than if you didn't do it i guess it's kind of hard to explain well but the other thing too is if if you're um value pricing then you know you you're working around the outcome and so Part of the pricing is whatever it takes to get to that outcome. I don't see, uh, yeah, I don't see that as scope creep. Yes, right. And that's the, that's, but people do is the reason I bring it up. Well, because we like to be able to say it's this many hours in this much time, because I mean, that's how we think about our own time. It's like, do I have enough time to do this? Are there enough hours in the day, in my workable days between now and when we need to, to deliver this final thing? Is it even physically possible? Mm-hmm. for me to get it done. And so, yeah, so we, I know it's, it is our default. It's, it's natural. Right. Yeah. So I think it's important for your clients. Like, it's almost like we started off, you know, it's kind of funny, like clients are not the boss for you. Like they're like, it's not a negative thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not, it's not like you need to be the boss of them. It's not that right. it's more like you're getting to view it as a partnership and not as like an employee. Yes, it's collaboration. That's yeah, exactly. what at our, at our best. That's what we're doing. We're collaborating on an agreed upon outcome, and you know, at least for me, that's what I always loved about consulting. I didn't want to like go away and come back with this, you know, beautifully wrapped package and say to the client, "Here you go, I saved the day." Although I did like the save the day part, I have to admit. <laughs> but that wasn't the goal. The goal was that we're working together, and then when we create something. I walk away, they own it. It's their triumph. It's not my triumph. Back in the office it is, but to the client, it's their baby. They've done this. And the way that a client feels when they own this thing that you've created together, it's created a bond between you. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to talk about you. They're going to want to bring you in again if it's the kind of project that you can do more than once. And it's really powerful collaboration. Yeah, yeah. And it takes time to, I think it takes time to, to shift to this mindset, uh, not to keep bringing it back to software, but, but s- particularly developers, but I know lots of other people do this too. Even if they know all of this, all of these words that we're saying, like they have these words in their memory, they know the words, but they don't really understand that I literally mean it when I say scope last. And it's really, it's a really hard uh, habit to break where if we are sitting in the, in this meeting that's really you know it should be where you're uncovering the value using the why conversation with the client finding out what is going to satisfy them because your ultimate goal is to satisfy them and and then see if you have any confidence that you can do it and not be sitting there the whole time it's hard to break the habit of sitting there the whole time solving the problem in your head (laughs) yeah not listening pick picking the first thing that occurs to you jumping to the first solution and maybe even starting to brainstorm it with them, like, oh, well, what if we, uh, what if we use React Native, and then we could do it on both platforms? It wouldn't have to blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're yeah. thinking scope, scope, scope. You're thinking features. You're thinking deliverables, and you're thinking hours. And then you go away, and you'll realize that you don't know what they ultimately want, and there's no way to really write a proposal because there's nothing to base a price on. So then you're just left with this. You're left with this old style, well, I think it's going to take me this many hours, so 
you know, and here's all the stuff I'll include. And you end up with these really long proposals with all kinds of scope, like uh, spec written out and probably an estimate, probably not a fixed price. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and like, that's what sets you up as an employee, because now you have to do all of these tasks and they're like, and they start adding tasks to the pile. And it's like, why are they telling the doctor how to perform the surgery? It doesn't uh-huh. make sense. And then so, if you bill them that way, if you ugh. send them a bill and say like 10 hours for this, 20 hours for this, then they start going, oh, well, did you really need to spend 20 hours on that? Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah. told me to. Yeah, I but know. I didn't know it was going to take 20 hours. If I had known it was going to take 20 hours, I would have had you do something else. And exactly. It's like, oh, like, reinforces that whole. Sick. Yeah, it does. It, it's like, no, I, I'm crossing my fingers. No, never again. Mm. Yeah. You don't want right. to feel that. It's funny. I didn't actually see this when we when we were going to start the episode when we were before the show when we were talking, but it's all the same thing. <laughs> I was thinking of it, but we, we sort of were starting to talk about it kind of like later in the relationship, like, but it, it happens from the very beginning is like mm-hmm. setting up the expectation that you are going to, that they're not your boss, right. that it's a collaboration. They're going to be the expert of what, of you know, what they want. They know what they want. You can't tell them what they want. They know what it is. You need to find out what it is. And you're the expert of whatever your area of expertise is. Mm-hmm. And it would be bizarre for you to tell them what they want isn't what they want. And it would be bizarre for them to tell you how to do your job. You know, that exactly. the whole reason you're there is because they can't do, like they need the, the transformation that they want. You are the key to unlocking it. And for them to kind of backseat drive is silly. They, but they, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon, even when you start the relationship like this, that some of that happens and they'll be like, oh, can you do this? And they're like, yeah, I can, but what's the business case? And they'll be like, well, you know, we need to know this. Like we already have something else installed that does that. Is that sufficient? Oh yeah, that's perfect. I didn't, I didn't know we had that installed already. And it's like, oh, all right, problem solved. No, you know, <laughs> but why? Cause I asked for the business case. Like, you know, if the request comes in, and I can do it, especially, oh, here's the, here's the slippery slope. It's easy. It'd take me less time to do it than to talk about it. I can just uh-huh. do the thing. Yep. Right? And then all yep. of a sudden, you're an order taker before you know yep. it. Yep. You know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, you know, a way to like experience this in other parts of your life is to is to sit in, I don't know, like a hairstylist chair and listen to what's going on around you. There will be people who try to tell the stylist, the expert, what how to do it like why are you cutting that piece like do you don't you think you should thin it don't here use scissors yeah yeah exactly I, i'm uncomfortable with that well what about that color that doesn't look quite right and and we, we do i don't want to say we all do it I, I don't know that that's the case but there are people that will second guess professionals of all sorts you know from your doctor to your chiropractor to your hairstylist or your barber and like that's the kind of stuff that's the kind of relationship that you don't want. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that certain people are more predisposed to that, but it's also the way you treat them can reinforce it. That's, yeah, that's major, right? So yeah. like, like the beginning when I was saying maybe you have like a really nice client that it's not that they're necessarily a bad fit, but they'll sometimes do, you just do that out of either habit or maybe they're nervous about something or it's it doesn't seem complicated to them but it actually is or or whatever and 
<laughs> I love the the hairstyle one because it's so much less threatening than like the doctor version. But like, yeah, you wouldn't. Right? Can you imagine just sitting there and telling your hairdresser like this, that, the other? Like, okay, no. I mean, no. I, right? It's. <laughs> I'm like one of those people that I'm like a dream client. I, not always. No, no, no. I shouldn't say that. Like, I, I've been a nightmare client and a dream client. But I, but the nightmare. I've been nightmare client early on, and then. <laughs> Like when I'm thinking with regard to uh, um, prof- when I hire professional for like business stuff and when I had Knapsack redo my consulting website, they're asking me all these questions about like, like what fonts do I like and all that, you know, stuff like that, like detailed stuff. Because I'm sure they're used to, I, I'm, I guarantee you, they're used to people doing that all the time. Yeah. I want it to look like this. I want to use this font. I want to, you know, this color scheme and all that stuff. And I was like, and they, so they asked me all those questions. And I'm like, no, I want you guys you're the designers. I want you, I want it to look, I want it to look expensive and trustworthy. You figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, cool. <laughs> and they went off and they found a couple of, you know, like, a, I don't know, I think a Ferrari site, like luxury brands, you know, expensive stuff. And they're like, stuff like this. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just do it. Just go ahead. Run wild, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's so easy to, um, I mean, I'm a total control freak. So it's, it, I, it was like a conscious effort to decide what outcome I wanted, you know, the kind of reaction that visitors would have when they came to the site, not even my reaction. Like I wanted to be proud of it, but I knew that was, they were, they were definitely going to do that. That's low bar. And, but it's like, here's how I want people to feel when they come to the site. You, you use your expertise to make that happen. Right. Where earlier in my career, I had someone, I was like, you know, I'm going solo. I should probably have somebody, it was probably in 2006. I was like, I should have someone, you know, do my design my site. And I was a total backseat driver, but it was, but it was encouraged by the designer. You know what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. like, so I guess I'm telling this story because like, I can, I can be either way. I can be a wicked control freak and kind of meddle with the professional's uh, job. But if I trust them, then I'll, I'll be like, nope, I trust, I trust these people. And they didn't, uh, and it wasn't encouraged like they didn't uh knapsack they didn't keep coming back to me with you know well are you sure like what do you think about these two fonts like they didn't right they didn't loop me into those discussions once i gave them free reign right where other times i've you know i've worked with more than one designer who's asking me about their job like like which colors do you like better and and i'll if you ask my opinion i'm gonna give it to you <laughs> like i like the blue one better or i like mm-hmm. that font better or you know uh, have you got any graphics you want to put on? Like, oh yeah, maybe like some mobile phone stuff, like maybe like this. So now they're sort of encouraging me to to kind of do the piece of their job that I think is the most important piece, which is the 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 big picture design, and not the and not like don't ask my opinion about like little stuff. It's just more work for me, and it's going to end up looking like a mess, which is which is what happened. It was a total mm-hmm. mess because it was like a design by committee kind of thing. It's just terrible. I yeah. threw it away. <laughs> so bad. Well, let's take that situation though. So, so you've had situations where you were the dream client and you were the nightmare, but in both cases, I'm going to argue that the person that was doing the work could have figured out which you were going to be mm-hmm. with some questions. And yeah, and it's, you know, design is sort of an easy one to pick on because 
I love working with designers and I like to give them a brand brief so they know what does the site do? What is it supposed to feel like? Who's the ideal client? What should they do when they get there? And a great designer is going to take that and produce stuff. You, you don't want to tell them what fonts to use. I want to see what they come up with. Right. It, I guarantee it's going to be better than what I would come up with left to my own devices. Right. So, But you can ask, as a designer, you could ask those kinds of questions early on in the process and say, so how, so whether it's uh, you asking the, them the questions, or you're saying, well, here's how I normally work is I require a brand brief from you or that you answer, you fill out this form with these questions. And then what happens is I go away and I come back and I present you with three possible designs. You know, will that work for you? And the, the control freak is going to go, well, but how do I know it's going to have the fonts that I want? And how do I know that? <laughs> so, so my point is you can shush these things out in the process of a conversation because the same person, as you just demonstrated, can be the nightmare or the dream. Right. It's yeah. not about the person. It's about the match between you and the outcome you want to create together. Yep. Yeah. And it starts at the very beginning. It's that that point in the sales interview when you get to the, you know, they sort of brain dump about the project. Maybe they give you a bunch of like, here's a list of things that we want you to do, you know, kind of like placing their order. Uh, and then that point where you they've exhausted all of their all of the things they can think of about the project and, and you ask them if you can back up and and just have them share with you how this will fit into the overall business you know, and you pivot into the why conversation, bad clients will hate that. Good mm -hmm. clients will love that. And when I say bad and good, I just mean like that they're a good fit or, or not a good fit for you. But the good clients love that part of the conversation. They, they, their eyes like get wide and they're like, oh yeah, like, well, you know, what we really want to do is, and then they start to, and then you can start to peel back the layers of the onion and get to the underlying motivation, which will be some desired future state. If you're talking, unless you're not talking to the real buyer, but if you're talking to the real buyer, you'll get there, you know, mm -hmm. it, you, they'll just be like, yes. oh, well, you know, competitors come to our space. So we need to capture market share before, you know, the window of opportunity closes. Like, oh, what would that look like? How much market share do you have now? How much do you need to increase it by? How much time would we have? Or, or whatever, you know, increasing conversions or um, having a, uh, having a look and feel that will compete with the big boys, so to speak, you know, like some disruptors mm -hmm. coming, trying to break into a space and compete with Starbucks. So, okay, we need to look like we're on par with Starbucks. So like, all right, how would we measure that? How would we know? Otherwise, you're just making things up and, and mm -hmm. executing best practices on demand. And uh, it's and, and you end up with a, a crappy website like I did that you just threw away, you know, waste like five grand to throw a bunch of CSS in the garbage. So it's really better that you find out immediately if they are, if the client is... I want to say trainable, you know, if like if, if they're, <laughs> you know what I mean? If they're open to yeah, the idea of taking their hands off the wheel and enjoying the ride, there's going to be stuff they need to do. It's still a collaboration, but they're going to let you drive your piece and you can find that out right away. It's, it's not hard. It's hard not to find it out. Honestly, if you, if you yeah. do a wide conversation, they'll immediately clam up. You'd be like, okay, I'm out of here. Just as a sidebar, imagine how much trust it takes for someone to let you drive the car, right? To take yeah. the wheel. And so that's why building authority is so important because if they know ahead of time, if they are already trusting you ahead of time, they trust your reputation, they got some referrals, they've been reading your stuff for 
ever um, or just for a month and they were completely impressed. Those mm-hmm. are, there are ways that you can increase the trust before you ever actually meet them. So just sidebar, I always like to remember how hard it can be for a, a client to just let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. Trust has come up a, a couple of times. And if we go back, if we think back to the, the sort of frustrated email at the beginning, that's the missing piece almost for sure. Like I haven't had a conversation with this person, but that's almost for sure the missing piece, which is that they're just undifferentiated from their peers in their buyer's minds. So like it's a bunch of fungible, you know, like interchangeable cogs and they just want the cheapest one because they all, as far as I can tell, they all are the same. There's no meaningful difference from A to B. So you end up with, you know, you probably are all of these things, you know, billing by the hour, being on Upwork right next to your, right next to obvious competitors where you can sort by price and then just pick the second cheapest one. And like all of these things contribute to creating a bad experience. You know, you're, you're not enjoying freelancing or you're not enjoying consulting because you're having this bad experience, but it's not their fault that you're on Upwork and you seem the same (laughs) as everybody else. Yeah. Like, get off of there or set your price to be the highest. You're, even if you're doing yeah. hourly, be the, be the most expensive one and get those people that sort by price and pick the most expensive one. They're out there. Yes. Yeah, that's a great example. But what does it boil down to? It boils down to working on your business and, and writing and speaking and publishing your work and, uh, you know, dare I say marketing <laughs> so that people Yay! trust you before they meet you. Right. Like they already, you know, I'm about to uh, probably, yeah, I'm about to run another podcasting course. And it's like the headline on my podcasting course page is what if your clients trusted you before you even met? Yes. And it's like, wow. Yeah. What if that were true? What if they knew you were the obvious choice? What if they knew that you were the the one who could give them this transformation that they want? What if they Mm -hmm. knew that? And it's just a question of like, can we afford them? Can we get on their schedule? When can we get on their schedule? You know, is there a, is there a good, you know, some offering that's a good fit for my situation, but we're not even looking that, like, I, I hear this all the time. Like, like people come in, they're like, they're not even considering a different business coach, like right. not even looking. Sometimes people are, you know, there's a few people in the orbit, like you, for example, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but it's a very short list. So, you know, if that, the, the trust is, it's a pretty important piece here. Because if they don't trust you, then exactly, they're going to do exactly what you don't want, which is micromanage your work. That, yes. That's what it looks like. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And, and you know, this is a whole nother episode. It's also a whole chapter in my book. But once you have that trust, it totally changes your new business conversations, your sales conversations. It's just different. You're not convincing. And in in terms of the topic we're talking about today, it really allows you to just get right to what it is that you want to do together. And they walk in trusting you. Yeah. It's, it's, and then you can try and talk them out of hiring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why they trust you because you're going to say no, if it's a bad fit, you're not just going to take their money. Mm -hmm. You only want to work with people for whom you can create these transformational outcomes together. Yeah. Right. Like just imagine what your business would look like if you're, you know, producing a trail of smiling clients, right? Mm -hmm. That's good. And like, how do you get a smiling client? You find out before you even start what they want and you only work with them if you're reasonably confident that you can deliver that outcome. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say it's maybe hard to get used to 
especially if you're switching from this employee mentality of like, well, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then if you're not happy, it's your fault because you told me to do the wrong things. Yes, yes. And it's kind of the analogy I I think of, which is terrible, is is like beating a dog. Like Mm. who would do that, right? But when you have a dog that's beaten, it's really hard for them to look up Mm. and look in your eyes if you've ever dealt with dogs like in rescue. And Mm. that's kind of what happens is like you beat yourself up or you allow clients to beat you up and then it gets really hard. So just don't ever start there. <laughs> start with believing that you have something to offer and setting the boundaries that you need so that you don't become a martyr to the project or an employee to the client. Mm, yeah, exactly. I know it's hard, especially if you're billing by the hour and, you, and you're like trying to get every hour you can because you need all the money you can get. So it's like encourages you to not work on your business and do the kinds of things you'd need to do to attract better clients. I mean, like there's a whole opportunity cost conversation here too, but it's like, it's like carve out that time somehow so that you can start to build that trust, attract the right kinds of clients, and then, or, or at least, you know, slightly a little bit better fit clients and then set the, set the expectation in the initial call so that the relationship is more, uh, you know, like two peers and yes. not, and not, yeah, not, you're not their employee. Yeah. And the right client just loves that. Mm-hmm. They love that. And the ones who want to, you know, give you orders, you'll sense that pretty quickly too. <laughs> Most of us don't like those. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who would? It's like, if you're good at what you do, I mean, I, I think everyone listening to this is probably good at what they do. They're, they're expert uh. at something, right? So like, why would you let a novice tell you how to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of insulting, you know, it really is. Right. But here's the thing, and I'm I'm glad you put it like that. It is kind of insulting and you can take it personally and, and say no to the client for the wrong reason. So that, that I'm so glad you said that because it, it is an ego thing. You get like that little ego pinch when, Mm -hmm. when the client says, oh, how hard could it be? Just put a carousel on the homepage. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) it's like, okay. Um, but the reason you push back is not because you're feeling insulted. It's because it's bad for the project. Yes. It's critical to frame the reason you're saying no around the, the, your desire to satisfy the client. So that, I think that's, it's super important to like not gloss over that part. It's not about like, it's not about like, I'm the expert. How dare you tell me what to do? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it, it, the, the real reason, like you can feel that way. Fine. But the reason to say no, the reason that the client will accept the one that they will like, the no that they will like is the one that is you saying, I'm going to keep this project on track, come hell or high water, and we'll collect all of these sort of tangential requests in a list and we'll revisit them after we declare victory on this one. And it's yeah. that's that's the approach. The word I kept thinking about was channeling because it's what we do. Like you have objections, you have things they want you to do that you don't agree with. And our job always, 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 always is to channel those into whatever's best for the outcome of the project. And we're human. You know, our egos are going to get bruised, but we don't want to react from there. We want to channel it 
into something that's productive for the outcome. Even if you're in the middle of what's turning into the project from hell, mm-hmm. by channeling that, you're going to come out alive. <laughs> you're probably going to come out with them thinking you hung the moon, even though you would never work with them again in a million years. But it will come out much better than if you don't channel it, if you let it just, if you let your ego drive the bus. Yeah, it'll become combative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you yeah. definitely don't want that. Huh. Okay. So, geez, we've touched on a lot more topics than I expected. There's like, trust and scope creep and, and employee mentality and uh positioning and marketing and like is there and martyrdom martyr yes <laughs> I, I i think we kind of covered the gamut there yeah i think so too all right folks that'll do it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye-bye <laughs>